When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, if you haven't checked out What Chaos yet, you oughta, because we've had all your favorite players on the show. I'm talking Seth Jones, Lena Solmar, Connor Bedard, whoever it may be. We're live every day on YouTube at noon Eastern, but also available on all podcast platforms, including the one you're listening to right now. We got guests, and yeah, we're also doing a bit of chit-chat, goofing around, laughing at what makes us laugh in hockey. So regardless of how deep you are into your hockey fandom, Come listen to What Chaos. We'll talk about your favorite team. We'll talk about your least favorite team and everybody in between. And we're having a ton of fun doing it every single day, Monday through Thursday. It's What Chaos, presented by All City Network. I can't believe I've never committed a crime. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome in to DNVR Avalanche's At The Ring podcast, hosted by Megan Ingley and Jesse Montano. Megan Ingley, off IR. I'm finally back in yeah. studio to do this podcast again, and I'm really excited to be quite literally back at the rink. Yeah. I know you always ask me how I don't get cold in the rinks. <laughs> my skin has longed for the cool air on my skin again. <laughs> And I've really missed it. So I'm excited to get into some stuff with you today. Yeah. It feels good to do this podcast on the heels of the Avs finally getting Seriously. in the win column again. And I'm sure that's going to be a little bit of what we talk about. But knocking out some of the around the league stuff. I think World Juniors, the conclusion of that tournament, yeah. really put... I don't even know if it's possible to put a brighter spotlight on Connor Bedard. Mm -hmm. But yeah. even immediately going back to his junior team after winning a gold medal for Team Canada... He has a four-goal game <laughs> to assist. He's absolutely unreal. It's a little bit scary to think about what he's going to do in the league, but how did you feel about the tournament? Did you watch the gold medal game and the heartbreaking bronze medal game? Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, Megan, it is, it's great to be back here. We, we had you in the red non-contact last week. We went remote, uh, so it's great to be back here. We got Yah here in the building. Uh, so no, it's it's nice to be back. It's nice to see you. Yeah, we'll get you back to the rink here uh, tomorrow morning, get you in that nice cold Zamboni tunnel. I'm wearing uh, shorts. I'm yeah, just, yeah, yeah, not, yeah. I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah. Shorts and and a tank top, similar to like uh, no sleeves, just the no sleeve life for Megan. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I was I was lucky. I was I got the game story on our little three man rotation for the one night the Avs win. So it's been a it's been a nice uh, nice couple nights for me. But yes, Megan, the World Juniors. Um, I guess let let's start with the bronze medal game. Uh, Good to see Sean Barron's get some get some hardware, right? Uh, what? No, I agree. Oh, 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 I yeah. think he was a bright spot in the tournament too for Team USA defensively. Yeah. You had sorry, just I said that and you had this like shocked look on your face. No. I was like, wait a minute, did I, I even <laughs> when I wrote the quote graphic request, put gold. Like, can we get a graphic that's gold medal? Because in my eyes, it was a gold medal. The, the bronze medal game is always such a weird. Um, it's always such a weird game to watch because, like, yeah, you won. Like, you won the game like you got third and so it's always just it's just always this it's it's uh i remember playing in a couple like growing up where it's like yeah i guess this is all right like it's cool we did win this last game but is this the tournament where i think it was a bronze medal game where a player threw the medal into yes. the stands uh no, no 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 i'm sorry that was a uh, uh who was it from sweden it was a silver medal silver okay. yeah a silver medal um man who do they play for now yeah, I don't know. That was a that was not a great look, but I'm I'm almost positive it was a silver medal. They lost a gold medal game, and I'm pretty sure they tossed it into the it's crowd. A reflection too of how young these players are, right. because I didn't even chastise that player at the time. Right, it's right. a really emotional moment, and mm -hmm. you'd like them to meet that moment a little bit better. But I kind of understood some of that disappointment too. You'd prefer them not to throw the medal. Into the hyper stands. hyper competitive, to your point, young kids. And I, again, not to, wow, I can't believe I've done this twice. Not to, but like, I remember being in tournaments growing up where, yeah, you, you lose in the championship game. It was a really good tournament. You know, 
national tournament, whatever, and you're sitting in the locker room pissed that you lost, and it truly isn't till like you know later that you can appreciate. Well, you know, we played we played well and whatever. And I remember thinking that at the time, same thing, where it's like, I don't necessarily blame the kid, but that is something he's gonna wish he could take back in five years. And I think they did get the medal back for that kid. Uh, damn, I, I'm gonna have to look up who it was because I, I know he's a relatively too. prominent yeah. name. Um, anyways, nice for Sean Barons to 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 get a medal, get some hardware, especially after everything that happened with him relative to this tournament a year ago, whether it be COVID injuries, uh, you know, that was a weird tournament last time, just in general, really it happened one and a half times. So it was nice to see him kind of persevere through all that, end up playing a significant role for, for the U S um, tough game against Canada for them. Um, so again, in, in the same light of what we were just talking about with the silver medal, I think that bronze will feel a lot better in two, three years once Sean Barons is in the NHL or at least, you know, pro hockey. Um, and he's kind of on to the next phase of his career. I think he'll be able to appreciate that bronze medal a little bit more and to kind of use it as a natural segue into the second part of your question. Real quick. It was uh, Elias Anderson. Oh, Lee. Thank oh, you. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. So... Yeah, here coming through clutch Hell already. Yeah. Uh, Leah Sanderson was okay. the was the player for for Sweden, and it was silver. It was a silver medal. Correct against yeah. Canada, they lost three one. Three three to one to Canada. They they lose a gold medal game, and he tosses the silver medal. Leah Sanderson, like that's not a bad player. No, <laughs> that's not an insignificant player. Hopefully, it was a teaching moment. Right, right, right. Yeah, uh, that's got to be right. Like th- that's just got to be one of those moments where, like I said, you look back on it and it's like, wow, how dumb that was. The, that, you got silver. In, in the, the most prestigious under-20 tournament in the world. Right. That's a big deal. Um, yeah. Hopefully a teaching moment. But, you know, as it was for Lee Anderson, same for Sean Barons. You lose to a loaded Canadian team. Uh, nothing to be ashamed of, really. Uh, well, that U.S. game, there was some more controversy that I don't know about, you know, you'd be down on, but I can definitely see why that one would upset you. Uh, but Connor Bedard, look... Um, I think people, we went through a run in the NHL where you had elite borderline generational talents coming out of the draft, like four out of five years there, like in the early 2010s, it just went, like it went kind of crazy, right? You had McKinnon, you had McDavid, you had Eichel in the same draft. Uh, I mean that 2010 draft just in general produced so many high end elite NHL players that, you know, I think people just kind of got caught up in every year. The number one pick is a can't miss prospect. And we've seen in, in years since Connor McDavid that yes, you can Austin Matthews, is another one to throw into that, you know, just that run of players that we had, you know, but you, you can have players that are drafted really high that are very good players but they're not necessarily in that tier of Connor McDavid, Nathan McKinnon, uh, Austin Matthews, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so so I, I get annoyed because I feel like people throw around the phrase generational talent a lot. And I, I think that term has lost a little bit of what it actually means. It means like, no, a player with this skill set w- will play, like there, there'll be one of these guys every 20 years. And again, I think you got you got Connor McDavid, who I think is that generational talent. And then you have guys like Nathan McKinnon and Austin Matthews, who are really, really, really high-end elite players. Connor Bedard fits into the Connor McDavid conversation, right? It's been almost ten years since Connor McDavid was drafted, which is crazy. Um, and now you have Connor Bedard coming, who might be better offensively it's really possible just looking at his pace I mean it's really comparable to McDavid's yeah. but interestingly too McDavid hit a milestone in this last week he earned his fifth hundred five hundred fifth hundred is definitely a word five hundred five hundred career <laughs> assists he's among the fastest to do it but he's not number one of no. course that's going to be Wayne Gretzky right. he's still in career totals is by and far the leader mm-hmm. but McDavid Etching that into hockey history, the same moment Connor Bedard is winning a gold medal and 
points leader goal scorer in the tournament and yeah. in, in scoring at important moments to opening the scoring in the right. gold medal game scoring the ot winner to send them to the over to the finals yep. um which was which was a a bananas goal I finally by went back and watched it after you told me about really it. yeah yes. it was just crazy and, and and like that's the part to me where like look Con like Connor mcdavid did some unbelievable things at, at the junior level and I don't know, maybe this will get some people to tell me what an, what an idiot I am. But like, I just feel like I'm like I'm watching Bedard and the stuff that he's doing is just on another level. Again, when you're talking about relative to their age and, and how they looked versus the competition, as dominant as Connor McDavid was, like Bedard just looks like a step ahead. I think McDavid still has the speed. The, the, the speed is something that, I remember thinking like I've never seen anything like this at the junior level, but Bedard just has that thing. The puck just sticks to him. Like nobody can take it off of him. Uh, again, that the, the overtime winner again, just like he, it seems like he can't get away from the puck. He's got that like magnetic field where the puck just finds him. And then he has that elite skill. And I'm trying to pull it up kind of quickly on the fly here. We've seen underage kids go to WJCs before. Really elite underage players go to the World Juniors and play well. Wow, you know, they really fit in well for being an underager. You know, Connor Bedard has two more WJC cycles of eligibility. That is how young he is. He could play in this tournament in 2024 and 2025. He won't because he'll be... <laughs> in NHL all-star by that time. Right. Um, but like, that's how young he is. And again, I'm just trying to, uh, so Connor McDavid's WJCs as an underager, seven games, a goal and three assists. It's nothing, nothing to shake your head up for an underager at, at the WJCs. And, and you know, I don't have Bedard's I numbers. That's 23 points. Right. Total. It's in the 20, it's in the twenties. And the only part player in the tournament behind him is Logan Cooley, and it's maybe about half that. He separated from his peers despite being 17 years old. 23 points, great job. Nine goals, 14 assists. Well above what the others were capable of. And Logan Cooley played great in the tournament. Right. For him to be behind Bedard in the points, it's incredible. And, and again, it's the level of competition. Uh, an underage kid, you see it all the time, uh, you know, even with these really high-end first overall picks, they get in the league, the, the NHL, and it's just a step faster. It's just a little bit bigger. It's just a little bit more physical. Well, it's the same thing with the World Juniors. Connor Bedard goes from, you know, playing with the Regina Pats to playing against a bunch of kids that do play regularly pro in Europe. Uh, the, the, you know, it, it is a step faster. The whole age group is just leveled up a bit. And not only did he not miss a beat, to your point, he dominated and stood out on a team with 18 first, uh, first round picks, 18 first round NHL picks. And to your point, Connor Bedard, I believe doubled up or close to doubled up the next closest point producer on, on team Canada. Um, he's on another level. This is one of those guys that barring health, it seems like it seems like as close to a can't miss prospect that we've seen since McDavid. And before that, probably you have to go back to Crosby Ovechkin to find another guy that you feel this confident about coming to the league and, and not just being an impact player, but having a big, big, big time impact on the league as a whole. Looking at the tournament too for Sean Barron's and the trade deadline does winning a bronze medal and his pretty stellar play defensively in the tournament increase his value as an asset? I'm sorry, Megan, but yes. No, I agree. <laughs> I agree. And it's interesting because we, we've talked about the reasons why the Avs would not seek to move one of their lone yep. defensive prospects, but he sure did become a lot more valuable on yep. an international stage it draws a lot of attention more than just the NCAA can. And he goes back to his college team and also has a two-assist night yeah. as a defenseman. Wore a letter with U.S. as well? He's the alternate yeah. captain. So look, and again, normally I wouldn't put too much stock into this, but we've now watched this Avalanche team build a Stanley Cup champion around this type of stuff. High character, 
leadership type guy, does things the right way. I, I don't doubt for one second that other teams around the league aren't also looking at these types of guys and saying, hey, the Avalanche prioritize speed, skill, and leadership. It's a copycat league. Everyone's going to be doing that. You have a skilled defenseman here who can skate, can skate well, and you know is, is, a, is a leader on his NCAA team, went to the WJCs, was a leader for Team USA, and then to your point, had a great tournament, goes back to his college team, immediately jumps right back into action, doesn't miss a beat. Um, I, I don't doubt for one second that the Avs' most highly rated prospect became even more highly rated in, in the eyes of uh, the other 31 NHL teams. Um, I, I think the 2023 first is in play. I think they will try their hardest not to. But if it comes down to landing, and I'm going to pull a name out of a hat here, Jonathan Taves, if it's Sean Barron's or you don't get the deal done, I have a feeling C-Mac and, and Joe Sackick um, may be willing to part with it part with him if they think it gets them this much closer to another Stanley Cup championship this year. It's a difficult pill to swallow. Some other frustration I had from the tournament into the summer and then this tournament now is the utilization Team USA started Barron's off with. They had him pegged as a bottom pairing guy ah, in the summer myself in the and to start microphone. this Sorry. tournament this time <laughs> yeah. around. And I remember reaching out to somebody who was covering it in the summer, like, is he injured? Why is mm -hmm. he being utilized so sparingly? And they had an explanation that I think was a bit mansplainy because <laughs> I think that people underestimate Barron's upfront because of his size. Yeah. But I like that he proved that he was a top pairing guy by the end of this tournament. That's I would have at least had him on the second pair minimum mm, to, start. to start. But it's interesting that among his peers, there is actually a moment that he had to prove himself each in the summer and now again here in this winter tournament. So, Megan, do you remember? Let's go back a couple of years to the WJCs where Kale McCarr and Connor Timmons played together on Team USA. Uh, or Team USA, Team Canada. Um, Connor Timmons was given a lot of responsibility early in that tournament, top four minutes, eventually working his way into that top pairing, uh, was really relied upon heavily. Kale McCarr was actually a healthy scratch for multiple games uh, and was really early on used almost exclusively as a PK or as a power play specialist. Um, yet, by the end of the tournament, was named the top defenseman in the tournament for Canada, and I believe shared the team lead uh, in either points or goals. I don't remember which one. And it was just so funny. It, it's so funny to watch. I feel like you see a lot of conventional hockey wisdom, using the word wisdom loosely here, prevalent at these World Junior tournaments because you have a lot of coaches who are plucked from junior teams or development programs, things like that. Uh, and they're put in these situations where it's like, hey, here's a group of kids, you know, form them into a team and go win a tournament all within the next month. Right. And I just feel like you see a lot of these coaches kind of just fall back on the cliche. Well, undersized, offensive puck-moving guy, we'll use him sparingly. We need big bodies. We need guys who can, you know, bang along the boards and get to the front. And it's like, take a second. Take two days and evaluate what you got here. Kill McCarr was the best defenseman on that team, uh, Hockey Canada team by a mile, by a, by a mile. And, and Connor Timmons, again, he was used adequately, but he's got better size right. and, you know, he has more easy to identify tools. But like those should, that should have been your top pairing from game one on. And it ended up taking them up until like the last game of the tournament to figure out, hey, we can use Kale McCarr more than when we have a man advantage and he ends up being the, the best defenseman in the tournament. I feel like it's something similar on the USA side with a guy like Sean Barron's. This is a guy who offers so much more than being a speedy puck moving small defenseman. Uh, and, and you're happy for him that he was able to use that tournament in the summer, use his, the start of his NCAA season. And then this tournament to show, Hey, Hey, not only team USA, but Hey, Colorado Avalanche. Hey, NHL. I'm not just an undersized defenseman who can use my legs. I'm a legitimate defender who can have an impact at a high level on all 200 feet of the ice. 
and to give allowances for the summer tournament because of his age he was going to get another crack at it there were sure. guys in that decor who weren't and so i understand priority a little bit there but the winter tournament sean Varens did what he had to do to prove mm -hmm. that he is sound defensively and he was a lot he was a bright spot in the we don't have to get into the Luke Hughes conversation. Yeah, but, yeah. And we'll wrap up WJC's too. But how nice is it to see Connor Timmins finally get his first oh, NHL goal? Oh, I was so happy for him last night. And actually watching that, I, I'm... <clears throat> Arizona, what'd well, you do? I, I, don't, I, just, I just don't... I, we're we're going to have to talk to our PHNX folks. I, I, I just... Unless there's something there going on behind the scenes... That that we just don't know about. True, you know he. I know his family's from Ontario. Um, I, I think it was Elliot Friedman was talking about. I guess his dad goes to every game that he's in, whether it be American League. Or I don't know about every last game, but he's his dad is at the vast majority of games. Yeah, uh, American League, NHL, wherever he's playing, you know that's where his dad goes. So I, I think. I'm given to believe there was a little bit of something going on behind the scenes where it just made a little bit more sense for him to go back there with the injuries, stuff like that, be a little bit closer to family. Craig was telling us it sounds like maybe they wanted some reps for him in the American League in Arizona. Toronto said, hey, we're depleted on D. We'll give him a look. I think, and I texted my buddy this, that the, the night he had that three assist night, Connor Timmons, seriously, seriously, may end up being the linchpin. I'm not necessarily saying this year, but that finally gets that Toronto team out of the first round. They've been missing a really high-impact defenseman. Connor Timmons has a, has a ways to go before he's there. I have seen that potential in him since day one. I think he's gotten to Toronto. He's getting ice, and he's just running with it. He's making use of every second he's getting. Um, I, I couldn't be happier for him. That is a dude that I thought was a steal in the second round for the Avs. He almost made the team out of camp his first year as a second-round pick. Um, if not for the injury problems, I think he's got his name on the cup right now, and we are looking at a, top, a future top pairing of Kale McCarr, Connor Timmins, and then you've got Devon Taves, Bowen Byram, like down lineup. I think that is the potential that a guy like Connor Timmins has. Could not be happier for him to finally break through and, and get his first NHL goal last night. And it was great to see him back in Colorado for that horrific New Year's yeah. Eve Toronto game, yeah. which is just a starting point of a really downward spiral, spiral for the Avs there for a bit. Mm -hmm. You didn't, you thought that was rock bottom and then the Vancouver game <laughs> happened. And so I'm going to throw this to you to start talking about how the Avs have been able to come out of that and the role certain players specifically yeah have played in stepping up in big moments yeah. and helping to at least alleviate some of the, the losses that they've been taking on here. So I don't know. I'm an interesting person to ask about the losing streak because you know, Megan, I, like I'm Jared Bednar said a couple weeks ago, you, you are, you're eventually you are what you repeatedly do. And that was meant, he said it kind of cautionary, like, hey, we can't keep saying we're going to get out of it because eventually, if you're not getting out of a rut, it's not a rut, that's who you are. Um, and so that was how he meant it. But like, I really kind of take a step back and I just look at that a little bit of a different way. Under this Jared Bednar coaching regime and with this core intact for the last five years, I don't know, Megan. I think I have a pretty good idea of who this Avalanche team is. Um, and even this season, despite the injuries, I think they've done a pretty good job on the whole, not recently, but of, of sticking to their identity and, again, being comfortable with who they are. And I think that is what great teams, championship teams, do better than anyone. We talked so much last year in that cup final, and even leading up to it. One of the reasons why Tampa Bay was a team that scared me a little bit. If you know, if you're the abs, it's because that's a team who knows who they are and you're not going to rattle them. You're not going to, you know, come out. The abs hung seven on them in game two, seven, nothing shutout. There was not an ounce of panic in that Tampa Bay team. Cause they said, 
It happens. You lose big games. It's a shame it happened right now. But we're comfortable with who we are and what we know how to do. And, and, and that's something that I've, I feel like I've seen develop on this Avalanche team over the last few years is being confident in who they are and, and knowing what they're going to do. So I look at this recent skid as exactly that. It's a skid. This is, this is a team that is comfortable in their own skin. They've, they've hit a little bit of a rough patch. The injuries and the, and the uh, fatigue, I think, caught up with them a bit. Um, and they, and they went through a bad slide. The Vancouver game was a, was a really bad outing. And that was the first time where I think you saw that frustration kind of boil over where it was like a questioning, you know, are we able to get out of this? And then they come out in that Edmonton game and I thought they played fantastic, true to their identity, uh, calm, cool, collected. They outplayed the Oilers. They got some crummy luck going against them and it never shook them. And I think that's a testament to the leadership, the guys in the room. And this team, despite being so depleted and despite going through five games, like you said, has had a few guys that they've been able to lean on. Nathan McKinnon was absolutely one in that Edmonton game. But the one that I, you know, I'm, uh, I'm wanting to talk about is JT Comfer. We talked about him a little bit on the regular uh, DNBR Avalanche podcast. But there has, he's in a contract here, so it's easy to point to that. But from my view, there has been a clear consistency difference in what I see out of JT Comfort this year versus what we've seen in the past. He's had these tendencies to kind of disappear. He's not producing at this insanely high rate, but I feel like he's been an impact player on most nights playing legitimate top six minutes. Do you see that same thing from JT? Absolutely. It's similar to the conversation surrounding Mika Rantanen because yep. to a larger degree, Mika Rantanen has been accused of also disappearing in stretches, mm -hmm. but he absolutely turns it on in a noticeable way. And when he does, it's hard to deny that he is one of the best wingers in the league right now. Yeah. JT Comfer, though, he's held to a different standard because of what he represents. He is kind of a player you can move throughout parts of the lineup. Right. When he has been given increased opportunity, like at a 2C position, it hasn't always gone super well for him. And like right. you said, he disappears for stretches at times. And so the part about him that has endeared himself to the fan base has been opportunistic and timely goals yes. when the team needs them most. He has been known for that. However, he's found ways to score even outside of just the timely moments, though some would say scoring in a stretch of games where the Avs are struggling to score 5v5, even on the power play, JT Confer scoring throughout parts of that yes. is pretty timely. Yeah. And so the consistency has definitely been there a lot more than this season than from what we've seen of him in the past. And it's interesting in the past, people have been really quick to part with him in trade talks. Like he's just a movable asset in a lot of yep. people's eyes. But I think people are finally appreciating the value of JT Comfer, the flexibility that he brings and him personally being able to step into that side of the game that can assume a little bit more responsibility yep. is really going to make whatever happens in the offseason difficult. Is this the best you've seen JT Comfort play for an extended period of time since you've been here? Uh, he's played some good hockey over the years for us. Uh, I would say probably his best start half a season, opening the season to Christmas time, consistent work and production and being responsible defensively, adding the face us power play penalty kill. It's probably his best first third of the season that he's had since he's been here with us. He, he seems to have a knack for coming up in kind of big moments, scoring some big goals, tying games, taking leads late, playoffs. Do you, do you think that certain players kind of have that clutch factor or whatever you want to call it like do you think that's a real thing or yeah i believe i believe it's a real thing i think part of it is he's another guy that's really good look at where all those goals are getting scored from but generally not from distance i think he does a nice job when we're playing with the puck away from the net he does a nice job and has a good awareness to get down to the net create screens tips traffic come up with rebounds um He's on in a lot of key situations, power play, five versus or six versus five, and he has a knack a little bit like Landy getting down there and getting a stick on pucks. So it um, doesn't surprise me that he comes up with a few of those goals. 
the consistency is the part that I think is so interesting because I think you just said it great, honestly. Like the goals that he's scoring now are timely. They're maybe not in that same like kind of clutch moment that we've just seen so many JT Comfort goals come for this Avalanche team uh, over the years where, yeah, he's, he's, you haven't heard him for two weeks. You haven't heard his name. And then with a minute left, they're down one and he, you know, he scores from right in front of the net. But it's interesting because I, I think you're right, Megan. Like, I think he's had a lot more of those moments this year. And when Jared Bednar talks about, because the, the, the clutch gene, the clutch factor has long been a, uh, a debate on the, on the DNVR Avalanche podcast. I, I think it's something that's real because you look at a guy like JT Confer, even at the NHL level, like you have to want to be on the ice in that moment. You have to want to go to the front of the net and, and you have to be okay with the abuse that you know you're about to take in front of the net, down one or, or up a goal, whatever it is. And JT Confer does not shy away from those moments. He does not shy away from getting to difficult areas. And he's got enough skill to, to make an impact. I completely agree. I've always thought the way that people talked about him being so tradable was so odd because he is, he really is that, and it's such a cliche term, but like he is that Swiss army knife for this avalanche team. He can play anywhere in the lineup for a reasonable amount of time. <laughs> You're right. There's limitations. <laughs> There's limitations. But for for he, he actually kind of reminds me of a little bit of a like a grittier version of John Mitchell. Because I, like I remember John Mitchell had a little bit of that quality too, where it's like, hey, we have an injury in our on our top line. They're gonna miss two games. Mitchie, can you play center here? And he'd do it admirably for two games. JT Confer has that similar quality where we need now again he has not just done spot duty in the top 6 to start this season he has been a bona fide no doubt top 6 center for what 40 games or 39 games whatever it is now that they're at so let's give him a little bit of credit there but yeah typically that top 6 role you have to keep it a little bit more limited for him but he can turn in some really good minutes over you know 2 to 5 games consistently in that role before he maybe starts to get exposed a bit but on the flip side, he has been a top-tier bottom six uh, player for the Avs these last couple of years, has been a key bottom six depth piece for the Avs in these playoff runs. He kills penalties. He plays in the power play. He's out there in the last couple of minutes to defend a lead. He's out there in the last couple of minutes to try to get the team to come from behind. Um, JT Confer, I think, is going to be one of the biggest storylines uh, for us to follow as we enter into the back half of this season not only with how he's playing for the abs on the ice, but what implications does this have for re-signing him? Is he, can, can the abs turn him into the, the, the Andre Palat West, where can you get him to take what is clearly below market value because you can sell him on, hey, get a couple more rings here. You're a huge part of us winning championships. Uh, or, or is JT Confer staring down a $7 million payday somewhere else? I, I'm not necessarily saying that that's what he's worth. But if he continues to have a season like this, put on display a top six center season, penalty kill, power play, I don't doubt that you would see a team out there get a little twitchy and get him into that six and a half plus. As where I think if you're the abs, you're hoping... <laughs> if, if you're the abs trying to keep him, it's it's like five or less. And and if he continues to have this type of season, not only do think that's out the window, I think you're going to have some team potentially do something dumb for JT Comfer. It's interesting because I don't know what he would personally feel inclined to do. Mm -hmm. You know, he has roots here and there is trust. He is a comfort to Bednar because of the trust that they've established as player and coach that you don't know if that would have any influence on his decision to take a team-friendlier contract here or not. Right. It's going to be hard, too, with Evan Rodriguez emerging a little bit here. That might be a more affordable option yep. that the Avs have a hard time not considering. The other Absolutely. part of it are the philosophical reasons of believing in clutch players. And you look at someone like Kale McCarr or even Amiko Rintanen, and they also do score pretty timely goals, but they also just score goals. Right, right. And I think that's why people have a little bit of issue with clutch. But 
even looking at Makar, who has offensively been stifled these last few games, he does find his scoring and he does it in overtime. Yeah. And I think that's a little bit clutch. And I think the part of clutch that is real is players' ability to play under pressure. Yes. And yes. to identify Absolutely, the moments Megan. that they yep. need to step up. Because good players should be able to do that, right? Yep. But there are some players who really recognize those moments and can elevate their play beyond what their standard is. Yep. And I think that's what happens with GT Comp for a lot of the times. Because like with Akil Makar, the standard is already high. Yep. It's hard to pinpoint how that gets elevated in important moments. But yep. for GT Comfer, he can really play with a level head. And that's why I think the clutch factor is real. Yep. I think there's an argument to be made for someone like Akil Makar too, even yep. though he's so talented. But that's why I believe in it with respect to JT Comfer. And it's just a relief that the Avs can finally win some face-offs <laughs> with JT Comfer in the lineup. Yeah. So that is, that is, AJ's the big uh, per, uh, detractor to, there is no such thing as clutch, just good players are good players and they score. And, and I'm, I'm with you, Megan. There is... Even when you get to the NHL level and you have a bunch of these guys who are used to being the best player on their team, whatever it is, that hierarchy kind of like reforms itself when you have a room full of the best player on their team, right? Well, now you have a new best player on the team. You have a new worst player on the team. And, you know, there, there is just that, that hierarchy. And like you said, it's the playing under pressure. And it's the not only I'm not afraid to go out there and make a mistake, but I'm going to go out there and I'm going to make... I'm going to have my best shift of the game. And it's that confidence and it's that willingness to play under pressure. Uh, not only to play, under, but to want to go out there and play under pressure. I think about Nathan McKinnon's rookie year, uh, round one, game five against the Wild. The Avs won in overtime. And McKinnon was the one that scored that goal. And they talked about in the broadcast that before he gets a, the puck, he's tapping his stick on the ice. It's overtime of the NHL playoffs. He's 18 years old, and he's like, hey, Paul Stasny, alternate captain, give me the puck. That is what a clutch player is to me. It's someone who isn't afraid to go out there and have the puck on their stick because they're not afraid to make a mistake. They are not afraid that they are going to get caught on the wrong side of things. They are confident that they're going to go out there, the puck's going to land on their stick, and they're going to be the hero. That is what makes a player clutch, whatever, you know, phrase you want to use. In my opinion, that's what it is. And I think JT Comfer has that despite him being a bottom six player. And, and that's why I think he's even got it even more. So he's a bottom six player. He, he, he plays on the third line in, in most healthy situations. And every year in the playoffs, he's like, put me in coach. We're down one. We need a goal. I, I, I want to go. I want to go in with Miko Ranton and, and Nathan McKinnon. And he doesn't defer to those guys. He's not afraid to shoot. And then Jared Bednard talked to us about, he, he's got a little bit of that Landy thing. He gets sticks on pucks. He, he's got a little bit of that. You know, he can pick pucks out of the air. He can find pucks through traffic. Like he really is. I, 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 this isn't, I think how Jared Bednard meant it, but like JT Comfort really does strike me a, a little bit as like a, like a Gabe Landeskog, like ultra light. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like not just, like, you not just so cautious to even <laughs> say that. I thought it was going to be insulting. No, I guess no. it could be kind of insulting. Right, right. But like, you know, yeah. Gabe Landeskog light or ultra light, depending on how you feel about convert. But like, he's just got some of those same tendencies, you know? Um, he's been huge for this abs team. Um, I think he's so much more valuable, this valuable to this organization than people give him credit for. Um, if, if he ends up doing what we all think he will and walks, uh, this summer, I think his absence will be felt much more than people realize. Not every player meets the moment when they need to as yep. well. You look at someone like Matt Duchesne, who is offensively gifted, but his goal scoring didn't always come at right. opportune times and it was garbage time goals and he sort of became known for it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why you see a team like Nashville that's loaded with offensive talent struggle a little bit in the playoffs because yep. they have players who can score in the regular season but they have trouble beating that moment and you don't want to undervalue that when you have a third line player who is able to do that yep yeah a hundred percent and and it's 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 the ability to turn the page is what makes nathan mckinnon you know obviously it ends up being like <laughs> goes from an all-time abs great moment to an all-time abs like kicking the pants moment yeah um but again 
They, they had just given away a 3 nothing lead. And Nathan McKinnon said, cool, I'm going to go play my best hockey of the game. That is a clutch player right there. And again, this amazing clutch play ends up turning into this crash and burn moment for the Avs in that particular situation. Uh, but to your point, Megan, there are, there are really good, there are really talented players. A guy like Alex Semin comes to mind for me when you have this conversation of like, that was an extremely talented player who just shriveled up and disappeared anytime the lights got bright. He was an extremely talented goal scorer. When the moment called for it the most, he didn't have it. And that's kind of like in line with what you're saying, not to like continue to pick on a guy like Matt Duchesne, but he has developed a little bit of a reputation for that garbage time goal goals. Yeah. Wow. Matt Duchesne, two goals in 15 seconds. They were down seven to one at the time, but cool. There's a difference between just being a really good player and being a clutch player. You can see some overlap there at times, but um, I, I do think they are their own category. I completely agree. And looking back at the return of Nathan McKinnon to the mm -hmm. lineup, despite the return game not being very good, mm -hmm. you can't deny that having him back in the lineup points to maybe a power play that will finally <laughs> score. And it's bigger than just Nathan McKinnon. I, this is sort of breaking this into two topics we could talk about, mm -hmm. but it's going to be getting players back into the lineup after they've missed some time due to injury. Mm -hmm. But before that too, it's the holiday break, generally speaking, yes. is difficult. It's hard for players to get back into gameplay after the holiday break. Historically, the Avs just aren't <laughs> great they after struggle. the holiday. Um, and so that's a part of it too that I'm factoring into this, but... Avs will probably turn things around, especially with Nathan McKinnon back in the lineup. You don't expect the power play to continue to fail the way that it has. No. But even still, looking at the holiday break, I don't think there has been one that has been hampered with injury as mm -hmm. much as this one has specifically. So it exacerbates an already existing problem for the Avs after the break. These injuries have been unlike anything I have, I can recall at least, yeah. seen in the last decade for the Avalanche. And... It has required a lot from the strength and conditioning team yep. and the skills coach that helps get these guys, Valnachushkin, Darren Helm, Nathan McKinnon, back mm. into gameplay. Evan Rodriguez, too, yeah. because he's one who has immediately impacted the lineup yep. positively when he's returned. It takes, you know, like, we'll talk about it, too, but <laughs> I'll, I'll throw it to you to guide the Sean Laird yeah. conversation because it has unfortunately become really relevant topic this year. Yeah, right. Unfortunate is, is, is correct. So I remember a couple of years ago uh, when we first, I think it was two seasons back, I believe. Uh, well, I think it was the San Jose. Sh 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 it was the bubble year. Okay. It was the bubble year before the COVID pause. Um, and it was a similar thing where the abs were dealing with a lot of injuries early on, not to as many key players and that's the part where I completely agree with you in terms of I don't know if I've ever seen this type of injury run uh, I've been on a couple radio stations in uh, Canada this last week which is the abs being in Vancouver and then uh, you know playing Toronto last week in Vancouver and Edmonton this week I've, I've been on a couple radio stations and each one has asked me about the injuries and all of them have called out like this isn't just raw man games laws you're talking about like top six top four guys like almost exclusively going out. So that's the part that's been weird. But like you said, we'll, we'll circle back to that. Jared Bednar talked uh, because the abs were having a lot of these guys in the bubble year that were going out with injury and they were coming back and like immediately having an impact on, on that next game they were playing with a goal, uh, you know, two assists night, uh, you know, whatever it is, shutouts for goalies. It, it was just like, man, it seems like, huh, if you're going through a slump, just get hurt. Come back and like you'll be good. And we asked Jared Bednar about it, and he referred to the Av Skills coaches, um, Shauna Laird, as the team's secret weapon. That, and he was pretty vague about it at the time, saying like you know he's working with these guys and and he's getting them back to game speed, game act, you know, being game ready the day they the day they drop back in. And so we all just kind of started putting a little bit of extra attention on Shauna Laird and what he does and um, how he helps these guys. And it's been fascinating to watch over the last couple of years. He's out there before practice with guys uh, that are injured, and then he stays late with any guys that 
want to. Sometimes it's injured guys. Sometimes it's healthy scratch guys. We've seen Alex Newhook a ton this year stay out after practice, after morning skates, yes. just to get in work with Sean Allaire, despite that he's in the lineup. He just wants to get an extra work. And so I'll be honest, <laughs> I was originally working on kind of this big story about this secret weapon that the Avs have within their organization that no other team, how has no other team picked up on this? Well, I had some conversations with some players this week and I found out that the reason it feels like this big secret for the Avs is because they referred to him as their skills coach. I found out that every team or almost every team, 95% of the teams have this coach. They all call him something different. He's, re he's referred to as a rehabilitation coach, skating coach, power skating. Um, is it Tracy Tuttle? Was that her name? She used to be, I think that's her name. Uh, a power skating power coach skating. that worked with the abs. I believe she's now with the Toronto Maple Leafs, does something similar to what Shauna Laird does. So this really cool, like, secret piece. That but nobody's has. doing it like he Right, does. right, right, yeah. So I, I had to, like, I just decided it would fit better here. Um, because regardless of if every team has it, all jokes aside, I do think there is something that Shauna Laird does that is unique to the way that he deals with players and just watching, he has them work on little things that you wouldn't normally think of in a drill. Like literally, he'll he'll, con he'll conduct this entire drill. By the way, everything he does with these injured players or players looking to work on it is built around going at a hundred percent. This isn't walk your way through this drill to get the touches right. It is. I want you skating as hard as you can through this drill. And there's so many where it's like. I'm going to rim this puck around the boards bouncing. I want you to take it off the wall. That's the type of stuff that he works on. He'll literally, um, you know, he'll have a guy kind of up, like facing up against the wall and he'll shoot a puck into his feet. Find the puck in your feet and, and turn around and make a play up the wall. It's, it's little things like that where it's not necessarily always shooting on net, making these hard, crisp passes. It's the timing stuff. It's, it's like I said, it's finding pucks in traffic. It's, it's digging a puck off the wall. It's, it's taking a puck on your backhand, uh, you know, when it's coming, kind of bouncing up, you know, the kick plate. It's a hard puck to, to take. And when you're in a game speed, you need to be doing that at 100%. And that's the stuff that he works on them with. That's part of the reason why I think these injured guys can get back so quickly. Then on the other side, he works on that stuff and more, and, and my understanding is it's all tailored to what individual players need. And he works on that little stuff where it's like, hey, Alex Newhook, you know, uh, you're getting caught up in X, Y, and Z. You're making the right play for A, B, and C, but X, Y, and Z, you're getting stuck. We're going to work on X. We're not going to do this whole sequence. We're not going to work on your shot or whatever. But when you're, and again, I'm making all this up because I don't know what him and Alex Newhook talk about, you know, every day. But like, you know, when you're crossing over from here to here, instead of trying to carry the puck, why don't you push it to space and skate to it? You know, blah, 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 blah. That's the type of stuff he works on. And I think for me, I look at a guy like Curtis McDermott and the impact that Sean Laird has had on him. He was easily my most improved player from the start of the year to the end. Curtis McDermott didn't play at all in the playoffs, but he worked with Shauna Laird before every practice, worked with him after every practice, and I saw the biggest improvement from the beginning of the year to the end watching McDermott skate. His stride, the way he handled the puck. Again, he's still rough around the edges, <laughs> but, but I really did think it was such a testament to, one, how hard Curtis McDermott worked, and two, the attention to detail that Sean Allaire has. Yeah, I can't say enough good things about him. He's just an awesome guy and te teaches me a lot and he knows what I need, exactly what I need to get back in the lineup and do my thing. So he's just been such a big help to me um, over the past couple seasons. So um, I love working with him. I think it's an excellent point about it not being exclusive to just rehabilitating players back from injury. Yes. We have talked at length about how it is not the NHL's job to develop prospects. The American <laughs> League is the teaching league. But yep. this is where Ben Myers is able to 
improve. Yeah. He is someone that is also working with Sean Allaire on the details of his game. And Jared Bednar feels he has gotten better on that side of the puck. And you have to look at this as a safety net too. Like they are not in the business of developing prospects, sure. But it doesn't mean that they aren't working on the details of individual players' right. games. Right. Someone like Ben Myers, someone like Martin Kaut, especially in those optional practices, is digging deep and really fine-tuning the details of the game so that they are brought up to NHL speed. So like that's the important qualifier that comes with, all right, we're not developing prospects, yep. but you have a skills coach like Sean Allaire who can work with players who still have some things that they need to improve on in their game. And and what's important to note about this, and then we can we can start to kind of wrap this conversation up, but I think the important thing to note about this is, is goes hand in hand with what you were just saying, Megan. You are able to get that individualized kind of development work, but it, when does it come? Before practice, after practice, optional practices. This is not something that Jared Bednar and company need to be dedicating time during team practice when right. you need to be focusing on systems and power plays and penalty kills and, and you know, breakouts and things like that. You don't have to be taking the time to individualize, you know, Ben Myers, you know, work down low in the offensive zone. That's what you got Sean Allaire for. And, and, and you love to see the guys like Ben Myers taking the time uh, to, to put in that effort. Again, Curtis McDermott, while he still has a long way to go, I think part of the reason the Avs rewarded him with an extension is because they said, we see the work. We see that you are willing to show up every day and work with Sean Allaire uh, to, to improve your skills, to make yourself an impact player, uh, you know, to one extent or the other. And, and again, we're using Curtis McDermott as the example right now, but you literally, there are countless players. Nathan McKinnon works with him when he comes back. Every player on this roster works with Sean Laird, and I think um, while other teams may have a version, <laughs> uh, I, I don't think you can look past a guy like Sean Laird and say he contributed to what got this team to a Stanley Cup because um, when you get that far in the playoffs, it is the fine details that make the difference, um, and the Avs' fine details were better than anyone else's last year. I think it's fair to say that the organization as a whole has brought in the personnel that they have very intentionally. Yes. And that is our final topic. It's going to be Greg Cronin. You didn't think I would finish this pod without at least mentioning that. The Colorado Eagles also were on a losing skid. Now, their holiday break, they also suffer from a little bit of the rust versus rest in the mm -hmm. rust versus rest debate. And... They went on a five-game road trip immediately following the break. <laughs> so it was just kind of a tough schedule for and them, And road too. trips are notoriously easy in the American League. <laughs> so easy. <laughs> so they dropped the first three games. And it's difficult. Teams don't like losing. Um, how does a team like that respond? I think there are important takeaways you can look in how the Colorado Eagles respond and how they're able to break their slump compared alongside how the Abs were also able to do it. There's a lot of parallels in the problems that the Eagles were having, the problems that the Colorado Avalanche were having, um, and then it's interesting to then hear from the head coach ahead of the game that they eventually do end up breaking that slump. It's the series in Arizona where they're playing the Roadrunners and they end up winning both games. They win kind of a close game, I believe two to one in that Friday game. Um, and then they drop a, a six one game on yeah. Arizona the next day. And I'm excited to see how the Avs respond then in their second game after finally getting a close narrow win. Yep. If a little bit of the floodgates have opened for them offensively, but we'll hear from Greg Cronin in a second. He addresses a little bit of the identity of the team and why sticking to their identity and their process is the way to break a slum. It's yep. the key to doing it. Oh, I'm so happy you said that. I'm so excited to talk about this. And then the other is weirdly the topic of analytics and how he also uses that to sort of put games to bed. Like this is how we hit reset is we do go back and we look analytically where errors were made so that we could fix them moving forward. But then we put those games to rest and that's sort of how they reset moving forward. The identity of the Colorado Eagles and what they've been instructed to do to break slumps is so similar to what Jared Bednar yep. has talked about needing to do because right now Cronin cites the Eagles as being a little offensively depleted. And it's partly special teams have been struggling a bit, particularly the power play. You look at who gets called up from the Eagles at any given point, it is a power play player yeah. for the Eagles. Whether it be a defenseman or a forward, they are losing part of their power play. And so that has been difficult for them to score. A lot of the AHL, too, is happening on special teams. It's kind of five-on-five five mixed in there some of the time. <laughs> and then, you know, just losing then offensive tools, like a Brad Hunt, whether you like it or not, at the AHL, he was among 
the points leaders for the Eagles. What a like, goal for him the other night. What too, a goal eh? for him. Exactly. Like <laughs> after he hit the post earlier. It's incredible to see him doing it because you see him doing it at the AHL level. And so that being said, Eagles have also had a finishing issue um, and just finding their offense anywhere in the game. Uh, and so Cronin said defense first. And because they do lead the league in zone possession time, it's not that they're offensively poor. They just need to take better chances, take smarter chances. The in-house baked stats tell us that when we're on our game in terms of playing tight gaps, controlling the possession game, um, we usually have uh, have good results. And we did the same thing in Iowa. I thought the first game, a little bit sloppy, but um, you know that was a game that we actually made it an up-for-grabs type of game because we weren't as solid as we were away from the puck the second night. We had better chances. We had more analytical uh, chances, and we should have won the game. So during this run, you know, we you get caught up by the scores and stuff, and which is obviously the, the, the most important stat because you want to win. But we, we measure it. We measure, our, like I said, my our, our, our in-house stats with the analytical stats, and we can tell how we're playing. You know, sports has become almost scientific to an extent that you can actually see what's going on with heat maps and, and we've controlled that, you know, whether we're winning 7 or 0, we've gone 3 and 4. And, you know, honestly, I think I shared this. In the, the Bakersfield game, we, we won. We actually shouldn't have won. We got out-chanced and we got out-analytic. But the, the night before, we should have won and we lost. So it's weird. Like, it's just like we can only control what we do as a staff in terms of getting guys to play the way we want to play, which feeds our natural identity. And our natural identity right now is has got to be defense first. We don't have the weapons to score. So we've got to suppress chances against, and we've got to try and create chances off our effort. So it's a combination of us playing really well defensively and eliminating scoring chances, and then offensively when we get the puck is being smart with it, make good plays with it. Um, you know, don't don't keep it so vanilla that we're just trying to stay alive. We want to make make plays that are, are based on our core identity, which is we're number one in the league in offensive zone time. So how can we ch generate chances off of those possessions? I love what he says about. Um it's like they need to get creative. He says it in a funner way, though. <laughs> but he says something about they also need to get a little creative. And I think that's an interesting diagnosis of what the Avs also need to do because there's some part sticking to the process and also smart shot selection, but also not getting too in your head. <laughs> it's so... Uh, let me pause real fast to go on this two-second little diatribe about Brad Hunt. So I was on, I was yes. on, I was on 1600, uh, TSN 1600 in Edmonton. Uh, and they asked me about Brad Hunt. They asked me about Brad Hunt and Andrew Cogliano. They were like, Oilers fans always want to know what's going on with former Oilers. And I laughed to myself. I was like, Brad Hunt? He's gotten around. I didn't know he was an I, Oiler. I didn't either. And then he hit the post in that game. And I was like, oh, that's so funny. They asked me about Brad Hunt. And there he is hitting a post. And then he ties the game up later. And I was just, I was just laughing to myself because I was like, never coming into this season, I did not think I would be in any interview anywhere being asked about Brad Hunt. Not only did I get asked about him, but the next game in which he was playing that they were asking about, he ends up scoring the game time goal. I just thought it was so funny. Megan, listening to you talk about Greg Cronin and the Eagles just then. If I had missed the first 10 seconds of the intro to that segment, I would have thought we were talking about Jared Bednar and the Avalanche in terms of philosophy and, and process and where they, they see that their commitments need to be the strongest first. It's part of what I think made this team early in the season. Obviously, the Avalanche hit a skid recently why they were able to not only stay afloat, but stay very competitive, stay in the top three of that division. It's because of the cohesion between the NHL team and the AHL team. I think Greg Cronin is an, is an underrated coach here. You know, I don't necessarily know just in Denver. I think this is a guy that will absolutely be getting looked at for NHL jobs over the next couple of years say that. because he's got the right philosophy. He, he understands. We don't get rattled, and I think the reason you saw that big breakout the game after is similar to what happened to the Avs a couple of weeks ago, month ago now, in St. Louis. The Avs have that comeback, the Miko Rantanen hat trick, and Miko told us after, we'd been doing really good things, and it was great to get rewarded for him. I think that's what you see similarly with the Eagles, what you're talking about. We didn't feel like we'd been bad. 
We just hadn't had things going well for us. You have a good game. You play well. You come out the other side on a, on a uh, one-goal victory, and you get that boost of confidence like, oh, okay, we are still who we thought we are. We talked early in the show about the Avs knowing who they are, and I think you see that reflected organization-wide. The Eagles know who they are. They are confident in their systems. Greg Cronin believes that if we do the right things, we will come out the way we want to in the majority of situations. Um, we talk a lot about what C-Mac and Joe Sackett have been able to do in terms of personnel on the ice. You said it perfectly a minute ago. I don't think we've, I don't think we fully appreciate the caliber of talent they brought in on a coaching staff level, whether it be AHL, NHL, behind the bench, behind the scenes, um, the players, the staff that this organization has right now. Um, they're very lucky, and it's part of the reason why I don't worry about a five-game skid for the Avs. The, the organizational, organizational depth and commitment to success just runs too deep. I think that's a great note to end this on, but I also want to mention that Jean-Luc Foudy just continues to score at the yeah. AHL level. He is somewhere around a point-per-game pace. I just had to throw that in there. I think we talked about it on the show a couple weeks ago. I think he jumped way, way up in the prospect uh, depth pool versus where he was at the start of the year. That, that's a kid that I look at now, and I'm, I'm saying, unfortunately, that may be another trade deadline casualty, but that's because I think there are 32 NHL teams saying that might be an NHLer, and that's a good problem for the Avs to have. Absolutely. Respect Greg Cronin. Respect John Luke Foodie. <laughs> I'm Megan Angley, Jesse Montano. Thank you so much for tuning in to DNVR's At The Ring podcast. We'll be back with you next Monday with even more exclusive content, access-driven content, now that we'll both be at the ring. We'll be on the road a little bit too, but we're really going to milk it for everything. <laughs>